This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan, and you are listening to the Parent Footprint Show. At Parent Footprint, our goal and mission is to create a loving world with more compassionate people, one parent and one child at a time. We believe at Parent Footprint that the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged and aware kids is for parents to be happy, healthy, engaged and aware themselves in their own lives. We believe that awareness is the foundation of creating a vision of successful parenting, and this show is about providing awareness to our listeners by having amazing, talented, and engaging guests like the one we have today. The title of today's show is called The Dyslexic Advantage, and I am privileged to have my colleague, Dr. Fernet Eide, enlighten us today. Dr. Fernet is co-author, along with her husband, Dr. Brock Eide, of the great book, The Mislabeled Child, How Understanding Your Child's Unique Learning Style Can Open the Door to Success, and also The Dyslexic Advantage, Unlocking the Hidden Potential of the Dyslexic Brain. That amazing book turned in to them co-founding the nonprofit Dyslexic Advantage, which is an organization dedicated to promoting the positive identity, community, and achievement of people with dyslexia. Fernet, thank you for joining me on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. So I've been looking forward to this for a long time. We've talked about this topic a lot, and what I want all the listeners to know is that you guys, with your book and with your vision, have been changing the paradigm of how people see dyslexia, not just the weaknesses, which I think there's a lot of misconceptions about, but also the tremendous strengths. And today I wanted us to talk about how do we empower parents and listeners to understand more about what are the associated strengths and weaknesses and how can we empower our kids to maximize their potential. So the first question sounds simple, but it really isn't simple. How would you define dyslexia? (laughs) <laughs> it isn't simple. Well, dyslexia, interestingly enough, when it was first identified in the late 1800s, they recognized that that there was kind of uh, um, a, a, this, something that didn't make sense about a student performing in school because, um, in fact, this doctor who wrote the first report about dyslexia said that this the student, this lad would be the smartest student in the school if the teaching was all based orally and didn't require reading or writing. So, so there is this, uh, I mean, discrepancy is like, it's just a, it's, it means 
kind of a gap, you know, between the obvious intelligence of these people and and certain types of activities, whether it's learning to read or whether it's writing, um, that that sort of seem particularly difficult. And so that's originally how dyslexia was first identified. And then, you know, fast forward to the 21st century, there's a, an overwhelming emphasis on, on you know, the, the weaknesses and the challenge, but then too little attention to the strength side, which often can be a gateway to understanding how to best educate students and how to choose careers and things like that. So I know that there's been, you know, the definition has been changing over time, and it's often been thought of as a language-based learning disability. And then we have the Europeans who've been talking about the visual processing aspect of dyslexia. And I think our modern times, we're trying to put those two things together to describe what's this overall dyslexic profile look like? That's right. Yeah, there's an evolving story that it really is this this different brain wiring that dyslexic people are perfectly healthy. It's not a disease, but that it's a different wiring that will make certain types of activities and and skills, you know, more difficult to achieve or actually easier. And so this sort of strengths weaknesses aspect really is an evolving story that's backed up by some of the cutting-edge neuroscience research. So I have a difficult time answering the question, what is dyslexia simply? And so I know that you're going to do a much better job than I, uh, than I do. If when someone asks you, so what is it? What is dyslexia? What, what, do you, what do you say these days? Well, a lot of times I say it's a learning difference, you know, that often presents, you know, in childhood, in the first years of school, with more difficulty learning how to read. And so that's the, the classic kind of presentation. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, these differences are often associated. We've, we came up with the notion of these mind strengths, and it's certainly not limited to them. But those are, um, there's an acronym, it's involved with um, material reasoning. So being able to reason through materials, the engineers, architects, you know, are, are people who really make their living every day with this kind of um, hands-on intelligence. The I stands for interconnected reasoning, being able to see things in in, in uh, interconnected with other pieces of information. N stands for storytelling, narrative, um, and um, and that's a strength as well, being able to recount stories and put things together and remember um, and then share with others in, in this kind of story format. And then finally, D is this dynamic reasoning strength, being able to reason um, in... Uh, conditions of uncertainty and um, unstable times. It's the thing that gives dyslexic entrepreneurs an advantage and being able to see ahead on the horizon and that, things like that. Yeah, and I love how you led with the strengths because when you can track this, the, these characteristics to early childhood, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, no, you got to wait to see when the kids can read, um, you know, at school age, and then you're not going to know till third grade. But not only are the characteristic weaknesses observable at an early age. The characteristic strengths, which you just mentioned, are also observable at an, at an early age as well, correct? That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I think some of the more effective strategies for helping students read are really strength-based using this knowledge. For instance, the multisensory um, approaches that are typified by Orton Gillingham in terms of, of learning how to uh, do um, 
phonological awareness and things like that, it really takes advantage of some of this hands-on or M-strength ability where, you know, if you were to simply use a single modality, you know, have a, have a person try to learn them by, you know, by looking at and doing rote memorization, if you actually have them model with the materials and actually do things, then it really becomes much more easy. So you mentioned the, the four strengths, the four mind strengths, which mm-hmm. are, for all those of you out there, not only just to listen to this, but also they are uh, spelled out and given with examples in great detail in their book, The Dyslexic Advantage. But this material reasoning, this engineering, this design aspect, something I learned from you guys is that there are, I believe, seven man-made wonders in the world, and all seven have been designed by a dyslexic architect, right? That would be an example of uh, a material reasoning? Yeah, interconnected reasoning. Dyslexics are really good at taking vast and diverse properties and principles and coming up with unique um, and novel solutions. Uh, Narrative reasoning, how many of these Pulitzer Prize and award-winning authors are actually dyslexics because they're great storytellers. You guys featured Roald Dahl in your latest uh, newsletter, um, and everyone thought that he just sort of wrote funny and talked funny, but it was actually part of his language uh, quirk or language challenge associated with his dyslexia. And then dynamic reasoning, um, this ability to, to take past and present data points and predict future outcomes, which is why we think that uh, the, the research shows about one in three successful entrepreneurs are dyslexic because of that ability. Now, the flip side which we do have to talk about because we want our listeners to know what to look for with their kids since early intervention is key, is what would be the, you know, the most obvious list of the early signs of the weaknesses? Well, some of the early signs, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, difficulty acquiring, acquiring reading. It might be more than um, sort of ordinary difficulty with reversals. I mean, we've talked about a trade-off that might happen where, where, where students actually might be very good at being able to rotate things in space in 3D, but they're 2D ability to distinguish things is quite complicated. So, you know, Bs and Ds, you know, it's pretty common to see a lot of reversals in children um, below the age of seven, but when significant amount of reversals still persist, you know, sort of late seven and up, then, you know, sometimes that's related to dyslexia. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and the other things that you guys have um, really explained to broaden the I would say not the definition, but the profile of of all the the other brain associated strengths and weaknesses that you talk about in your first book, the mislabeled child. You know, could you say a little bit about the different sort of memory strengths and weaknesses, for example, that you see, and different sort of processing strengths and challenges you see with this profile? Yeah, sure. So we talked about something called stealth dyslexia as well, which often we see with um, gifted students who are also dyslexic, and they might scoot through the early years uh, picking up reading, but then later on the writing becomes a challenge. And one thing that I think people don't realize is that often these stealth dyslexics are really sitting on top of just this gold mine of, of ideas and, 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 and cool stories and things that they want to convey. And part of the extreme frustration is that it's hard to put it simply into words. Sometimes in terms of the memory, as you mentioned, it seems like, in general, as a pattern, dyslexics tend to have more personal memory. It's called episodic memory by the scientists. And it's where you recall things in distinct episodes, places, and times. You know, the scene may come back to you, for instance. That's very different from others who might actually remember things really just in terms of 
you know, decontextualized information. You know, they won't, they won't see a scene. There's some people who can't visualize at all, in fact, you know. It's very diffi- difficult for them to do certain things like visualize. But on the other hand, if they follow the information through words, they might more easily be able to retrieve the, epi- you know, the experience in terms of words, although it won't, it won't be the same kind of quality. It may be more uh, impersonal. Later on, they may have a hard time remembering where it happened, when it happened, and things like that, because it's not this, this rich personal memory, which is often associated with more emotional content and, and sensory mm-hmm. experiences. And I hear all the time, as I know you do too, when we're talking to parents and they'll say, you know, we don't get this memory thing because they can't remember to bring their backpack from their room, but they remember what I was wearing at the park when their ice cream fell when they were two years old. Right? Like this (laughs) example of the difference between the the different sort of memory systems. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maddening at times. You know, it's, it, it is true. It's this memory paradox where, Sometimes it's just like, um, you know, in school, especially if they're, they're not engaged with it and they're asked to memorize state capitals, well, it won't stick. I mean, mm-hmm. no matter how many times you present, it won't stick. At the same time, you know, it's like you say, if they were there, they remember vividly what the temperature was. They remember people they saw there, what people were wearing. And, you know, so it's just being able to recognize if that's really your strength pattern, you know, what you should do is learn how to translate those strengths into, you know, What's trying what you're what you're trying to learn in school, right? And we'll, and we're going to talk soon about what is the best way to learn when you have this profile. And I think just to, to foreshadow what you're talking about is sort of contextual and meaning based learning as opposed to rote and memorization. Correct? That's right. That's right. And you know there are little tricks too. I mean, in some cases, you know, like if uh, you know if you're a medical student and you have to memorize all these different nerves and things. You know, there are little tricks that you can use. You don't actually have to have a personal experience with every nerve or anything like that. But you can take advantage of that pattern, knowing knowing that that, that particular way you learn best that can, you know, be used to do all, all sorts of things. So for our parents out there, if, if they're sensing some of these signs or um, they're concerned, uh, what do you suggest a parent do? Well, you know, get information first. Um, in general... We're big believers in in testing. You know, a lot of times schools, most schools aren't testing really for dyslexia, so it's 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 difficult because you might have to you might actually have to pursue private testing. But I think the testing can be really valuable, especially if you can get the results that tell you about the strengths, relative strengths and weaknesses in your child, because that might help you figure out how to strategize about the best way to go about doing things, learning things, you know, and doing certain types of school subjects. Yeah, and you know, and this is the unfortunate frustration of this complex profile, particularly like you said with the brighter kids or the stealth dyslexics, is it's there isn't one test that you can just do a screener for and, oh, yep, that's dyslexia, because the profiles can be so complicated and varied. You know, while that that's that is true, there's truth to that. I think, um, you know, I think it's actually, you know, still pretty easy if 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 you do all the different tests to be able to identify, you know, and target that. And I think we're going in the direction of even more streamlined tests at being able to, you know, give people, teachers and children and the parents more practical information. But um, it is true. It mm-hmm. it does. There are a lot of different. There, you know, within these 
broad brushed categories of dyslexic and not dyslexic, there are different variations that can make a difference. And I also think for context setting, too, because we do trust our educators um, and we trust psychologists and we trust physicians. Um, but the reality is that um, that you've learned and that we've learned from you and Brock is that most educators, even at advanced levels, and in, including psychologists, don't get specialized training in what dyslexia is and yet are the people who are saying the front lines of whether students have or don't have dyslexia. Yeah, it's surprising. I think that's why the the more information parents can get, you know, through programs like this, uh, through through your, you know, your organization, you know, or through Dyslexic Advantage, really the better, because it is true, and just shockingly so that, you know, you can, you can get through all your higher education to train as a teacher, and get very little in dyslexia. I heard even today, where, you know, we're right near the University of Washington, and we have a number of kind of world-famous researchers in um, dyslexia, I heard from a recent graduate that if you pick your electives, it's possible to graduate with no background training in dyslexia. And I think it's it's situations like that where you really need to change the laws mm-hmm. and make sure everyone gets it. But but that's why parents today, you know, really the more information you get, the better you're going to be able to help your child. Mm-hmm. In terms of intervention, and we always talk about early intervention. Oh, before I say that, I, the point I wanted to make was for parents, we suggest you trust your instincts because you know when something is not adding up. You know when you've gone over sight words with your kids who have strong abilities in other areas and they cannot remember their sight words or they can't remember their math facts or they can't remember the capitals, which I still can't remember, right? Those are signs and you need to trust yourself even if the first one or two people say, hey, you know, they're fine, they're performing at grade level, it's all good. Right. So it it really you do. This is about awareness, this show. And, you know, you being aware of your child, your own experiences um, is just so key here. So for now, what should once there's a concern, there's um, a diagnosis from an expert or specialist. What are the steps for intervention? So, you know, sometimes it's going to be, you know, for instance, if a if a student has trouble with um, hearing the, all the sounds for, for phonics, or if it's a problem with remembering them, then some of the intervention might be, you know, a curricular one, you know, certain things to do there. Uh, in some cases where it's writing, you know, there's so many words, and English in particular is a difficult language for spelling. You might have to take a really big picture, you know, where you're, you're doing certain types of approaches to learning word families and things like that. And in the meantime, you might might have the student work with um, a word prediction software where they can make these educated guesses and then see what the correct spelling is and put it in their writing. What you don't want to do is prevent them from getting their ideas on paper by limiting them either to whatever they can get out with a pencil and paper or, you know, without any kind of um, assistive technology. So you're talking about wonderful accommodations through technology, keyboarding, audiobooks, uh, reduced mm-hmm. writing so they can listen. Something that we're not talking about directly is that a lot of these kids who are dyslexic also have this thing called dysgraphia, where it's really hard for them to get thoughts um, pencil to paper and also just actually the mechanics. And some of these kids learn by listening. So if we're having them 
take down notes, not only are they going to get behind, but they're not even able to learn from their listening channels. So these are all accommodations. And you had mentioned earlier, Dr. Orton and Dr. Gillingham, would you say a little something about the multisensory approach for intervention and rewiring uh, the brain? Yeah, you know, multisensory usually means there's there's more than one route in for taking in information. So rather than saying, well, um, you know, you're going to do your spelling by just looking at the list because that's how you can learn it. You know, it might be much better, for instance, if they, they write it out in the air, which, you know, involves some kinetic learning, you know, they, you can enhance the sensory aspect of it by, um, by writing in, in like dry rice or sand or things like that. But in addition, by saying letter by letter, that can be another sense that you're getting because it'll go through the auditory route. So it's not it's not all high tech when you hear multisensory, but it, it means a careful consideration of multiple routes of getting the information in because you can find out very quickly that that's the better route to get in in a particular child by just trying things, doing it the standard way with just sort of one one way of learning, you know, either, you know, just say, you know, visual writing versus something where you actually have them do something, model the, model the, uh, the spelling words in, in clay or something like that. And often very quickly, you can see what the preferred routes are. Mm-hmm. Well, and speaking to the preferred routes, I have to ask what seems to be a controversial question, although those of us who work in this field often scratch our heads, is what about the visual processing system and the controversy around vision therapy for actually helping a dyslexic. Yeah, you know, it is controversial and, um, you know, and it, it's a pity. I mean, because I think there's a lot of vision therapists who really help, you know. I, I don't think that, um, you know, so in general, as a group, young children will often have visual difficulties of one sort or the other. They might have mild lazy eye or things like that. And so what vision therapists can help um, is, is in the area where children are having a lot of line skipping, word skippings, and things like that. If they're starting to have rubbing their eyes and having spasm, if, if they might need glasses, glasses and you weren't aware of it. So there are lots of issues like that where they can be of help. It's not that these visual issues cause dyslexia, you know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. but that it's a common situation that children will have visual issues. And so, and as a group, at least when they've done studies, dyslexics versus non-dyslexics, these are usually small studies, you know, there's a slightly higher incidence of visual difficulties with um, dyslexic children. So, you know, um, I, I think that kind of thing, it, it you know, if, if there are a lot of visual issues associated with reading, usually we say, if you haven't had your eyes checked in a year, then why don't you um, why don't you see a developmental optometrist? Right, right, right. Excellent. Your organization, um, one of the the mission and charges of your organization is to de- is to develop a positive identity in the dyslexic community. What do you recommend to parents to help develop that positive identity in their children? There's a lot of stuff. Go visit dyslexiaadvantage.org. I'd say <laughs> we have a lot of videos. You know, see if there's a a particular interest of your child, maybe we'll have a short interview uh, of of an adult talking about being dyslexic and also how they found their kind of super strength. And mm-hmm. and sometimes that can be really helpful. You know, we do have some um, more cartoon-oriented animations that can also help students conceptualize what it means to be dyslexic. And 
I, you know, I have to say that um, that it, that was one of the things that we found most liberating in our clinic that that children once they kind of got it, they 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 knew that they were different anyway. But putting a name to it and then recognizing you know, what they might be able to do well and what they've even seen in themselves that was really pretty cool. It's just a beautiful thing. I mean, you can see it's a, it's a night and day change. It's one of the most satisfying things mm-hmm. of being in the business. I'm sure you're aware of this, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> it's fabulous, you know, and so that's, but it, it's, it's a little bit by baby steps. And sometimes mm-hmm. when you're talking to these students, you might have to do a little convincing Mm-hmm. But it's like if you, the more and more you present evidence, I mean, they're intelligent. They're going to start seeing the patterns and seeing it in themselves. And then, you know, a lot of the work is, you know, is is not so bad anymore. If it's just this the sinking feeling, like mm-hmm. I'm not going to make it, you know. And I think when you can give that to the student, then you'd be amazed what they can actually uh, do with perseverance and grit and all those positive things, you know, just getting through the tough part because it keeps getting better and better as long as they're not discouraged, so discouraged about themselves. Right, and they realize they have these strengths. It's not due to their intelligence. They're not dumb. They're actually very smart and creative, and they have a pattern of strengths, and they also have these challenges that they can learn to work around, and and it's their whole package that, that it's a whole good package that they come to embrace. Absolutely right. Okay, we're getting down to our final few questions. My second to last question for you is, as a parent listening to this show and thinking, okay, I think this is, uh, my child is maybe dyslexic um, or I'm, I'm getting a feeling, what is one thing, like if, you know, we're all going to get a little overwhelmed, what is one thing you would suggest to a parent to do? Besides get information? <laughs> I think that yeah. would be the key. Just get the information. Um, yeah. You know yeah. what? Go to the website now, watch video, mm-hmm. you know, learn more. I mean, because that's the key. Right. And if it uh, looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. So you can then take the next step, huh? That's right. You know, yeah. there are a lot of people in that category. It's a great point that you bring up who, who are not formally diagnosed and sometimes they feel uneasy. You know, when you start to line up your, you know, all, all, all your... Um, Every, all your patterns in a row, you'll see it. And, and, you know, just recognize that a lot of people are not formally diagnosed, but yeah, if it, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it is a duck. Okay. The last question that everyone's been waiting for, and that is the parent footprint moment. So this is the part of the show where our guest tells us about their parent footprint moment. And the parent footprint moment is when you had an awareness as either as yourself as an individual and or as a parent, and because of that awareness, your child benefited. Do you have one of those to share with us, Fernette? Uh, sure do. And I, I think it's a brilliant point. I love, I love the, this idea of yours. I mean, it's, it's, it's really brilliant. So my parent footprint moment happened with kinder music. And kinder music is sort of like this warm, cuddly notion of going with your toddler uh, to a music class with other toddlers and and just you know enjoying music and so we took our first child I took I took a first child this was like a mommy and me class and he hated it which I <laughs> which I just I just couldn't understand and to you know so I, I have to say initially I'm just like what you know you're wrong <laughs> you know and it was <laughs> it was just it was and to then it it did make me stop and then. 
you know, all these preconceived notions. I could see why, you know, of course I love music when I was little and, you know, my family, everyone in the family loved music. It even made it harder, I think, for, for my child because, you know, I mean, truth is, is this was not his thing, you know, and, <laughs> and if anything, I think it was like it was too much noise. It was too much, you know, kids moving around. It was just kind of sensory overload for him. And, and then it just, it did make me kind of revisit my, my assumptions about what I wanted to do, what my expectations were for my child and rather sort of growing up, you know, growing together to find out what he loved, what he wanted to do, what his likes were, you know, that, that it sort of snuck up on me. And I think it's really easy to do, but, Mm -hmm. but having that realization really made me more aware of, of the many ways in which we can communicate that to the child, because you can blame them and things like that. And, and, uh, you know, it's such a simple concept, but really there's so many reverberations of it. Well, and that is such an, a wonderful early key awareness because you f- came, you came upon that when he was young, it sounds like. Those classes start pretty young. So yeah. I'm imagining that set this, that, that was a, a poignant moment in, in deciding what you support or, you know, what is, what's something you want versus something that he wants. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That is, that's a great parent footprint moment. Fernet, please tell everyone where they can learn more about you guys, how they can find you in the newsletter to get all of this information, which is the one thing that they should be doing if they have a concern. Yeah. Uh, well, visit us, dyslexicadvantage.org. Um, there you'll be able to sign up for our free newsletter magazine. It's a fantastic magazine, lots of free resources and things like that. Um, a lot of people like to share it with their teachers and mm-hmm. and extended family members, and we're really, um, really, I think, just in a new a new era of education about dyslexia. It's a great time to be dyslexic, I think. You know, because yeah. mm-hmm. because we're you know dyslexic people are finding each other. We're starting to share stories and actually recognize a lot of strengths, which is you know kind of exciting for the next generation and. Um, I think by working together, too, I think we've been able to get all the accomplishments and the the laws and things passed that'll make it even better. Well, and I have to say, so first of all, too, it is a wonderful newsletter. I strongly suggest everyone get it. It's 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 like it comes to life. Um, so you guys are using this these new state of the art visuals and um and just programming and imagery that it really comes to life and it is multimedia. And as someone who uh, I just can't say enough to you and Brock, who has really leading the charge in this paradigm shift, which is creating a positive identity for dyslexics, uh, figuring out what, what we do right. And uh, it has had a tremendous impact on my life and my family's life. So I just want to thank you and we'll continue to support your work. So thanks, Fernet, for being on the show. Thank you. Okay, everyone. So our show is coming to an end. If you want to contact us, email us at podcast at parentfootprint.com. Please visit our website at www.parentfootprint.com. And as always, I'm going to lead you with this guiding question. What footprint do you want to leave? <laughs>